Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of The Pactum. This is episode 31 of The Pactum. I'm Mike Grimes here today with Pat Abendroth. Uh, Mike, I think you need to call me Reverend. I just got some mail, and uh, I was addressed as the Reverend Patrick Abendroth. So the only time I ever really liked that title is back when I used to ride a Harley Davidson. I wanted to have a customized license plate that said Rev. Rev. That would be pretty cool. But otherwise, no thank you. No thank you. No thank you. (laughs) Well, Pat, do you know what is special about today? I'm gonna. I just want everybody to know that it is Tuesday, August 24th. What's special about today? Uh, Char- In pop culture. Charlie Watts, the drummer for the Rolling Stones, died today or That's, yesterday. I'm that not is sure. true. That's true. It's a sad day. Uh-huh. I've seen the Rolling Stones three times. I think. Um, first time I saw him, I was with, like in seventh grade. I was with my mom and my brother, and the guy was walking up and down the aisle in Boulder, Colorado, selling acid, acid, five bucks, <laughs> acid, and uh, it it was quite the experience just wow. to kind of get in touch with Boulder culture. I guess, I guess so. That's wild. <laughs> well, that's not what I had in mind. Did you know we might we might lose listeners for me mentioning this, but I'm going to mention it. Did you know today is tell me, tell me. the official release day of the Pumpkin Spice Latte this year? <laughs> <laughs> we always talk about food and coffee and such. I thought our listeners, and such. they probably love Pumpkin Spice Lattes, so they're going to go get one today. Uh, I think most of our listeners don't love pump- Pumpkin Spice Lattes, but if they do, since we are an all-inclusive podcast... I hope so, because uh, I like them. You, you do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> oh, I, you know, I actually heard someone talking about... Uh, Panera Bread is going to have a cinnamon crunch, like they have the cinnamon crunch bagel. Oh, yeah? You gain like 50 pounds just like smelling it. A cinnamon crunch latte. Oh. I bet that would be pretty tasty. That would be good. But I I wouldn't drink it. You know, I told my wife yesterday, I said, hey, pumpkin spice lattes, they call them PSLs. What if they were the... Pactum spice. Oh, <laughs> I see what you did there. You know, I kind of think it's like law and gospel. I want law and I want gospel. Both are important. But if you mix the two together, you ruin both. True. So if we mix coffee with dessert, I'm not in. Well, I'm not in. I don't mix law and gospel, but I, I'm going to mix coffee <laughs> and dessert. So. Fair enough. Fair E. So if you're a listener enough. and you don't like pumpkin spice lattes or anybody who does like them, please continue listening and forgive me. There you go. I pardon you. <laughs> this is the Pactum Absolvum, and uh, I am the Reverend Patrick Abendroth, it's so not. I have the power to yeah. do such things. Well, this is episode 31. What are we going to be talking about today, Pat? Today we're going to talk about deconstruction, not what you do when you take things apart when you're a little kid and rebuild them, mm-hmm. not that kind of deconstruction, not philosophical. We're not talking about the French philosopher Derrida. Derrida. We're not doing that, although there's some crossover, actually. Mm-hmm. We're talking about deconstructing the faith, deconstructing Christianity, deconstructionism, theological deconstruction. Uh, It's trendy. It's on the move. It's all that, apparently. Uh, There's an old name for it. It's called apostasy, uh, Mm. but that doesn't sound so cool. That is Uh, not cool. uh, We're probably not going to have a a podcast called apostasyism, uh, (laughs) and isn't that cool and hip? All the kids are doing it. So that's what we're going to talk about. It's kind of a downer, but and I should say, Mike... We're not going to do a deep dive. Uh, I did a deep dive uh, the last couple of days over just listening to podcasts by deconstruction promoters, and I've had to see a counselor. I've been so depressed. Saying so about yourself and and a little a little angry about the whole thing about dishonesty. 
But what we want to do today is not address those who are thinking about leaving the faith, those who are thinking about deconstructing their faith. Uh, Those folks are not our target audience. Mm -hmm. Target audience would be uh, typical Pactum listeners, those who are growing Christians, whether you're a mature Christian or a maturing Christian, uh, you are our target audience today. And so just know that we would probably, I, I for sure would take a different tact if I was talking to someone or with someone who was talking about questioning their faith to the point of deconstructing it, Mm. to the point of maybe leaving the faith. So we want to equip, we want to help those who are growing believers. Just so we're clear, we would do a different sort of episode, different sort of tone. Uh, It would be more personal depending on where the person's coming from. Right, yeah. So don't get us wrong. Uh, Don't recommend this to your friend or family member who is really questioning things and struggling. Just listen to the to the episode and then apply wisdom and grace and mercy as uh, and truth as you would talk to that person. So right. just want to be clear on that. Right. This right. is not your slam dunk episode uh, to answer all those who are questioning Christianity. Right. But we do want to talk about it because it's, it's starting to become quite a popular thing and you're seeing it in a lot of places in evangelicalism. So you may have seen it on other podcasts, blogs here, there, just deconstruction, deconstructing the faith kind of stuff. So we want to bring it to your attention, help you think through the issues, equip you uh, as you're interacting with those maybe podcast blogs or wherever you're seeing it, hearing it, uh, give you some things to be thinking about. Yep. And since we like to be positive here on the pack, I'm very positive out- outlook on, we have a very hot positive outlook on things. Maybe we should start by talking about what could be good about deconstruction. Hmm. So let's give it the benefit of the doubt and let's look at it Look, let's look at it in its most positive light, since if you're deconstructing, you're questioning something, yeah. how might it be good, Mike, to, to question your faith? Well, I mean, if you're going to be questioning your faith, maybe it's uh, you're reexamining something, um, maybe what you believe and uh, why you believe it. That would be a good thing yes. to think back, maybe even as you're getting older. Uh, thinking of those going to college who have grown up maybe under their parents' faith, as some like to say, and they want to, quote, make it their own. Yep, yep. Um, that idea of you know taking a look back and saying, well, what is it that I believe and why do I believe it? Does the Bible say that's true? That'd be a good thing. It actually absolutely would be a good thing. Yeah. So I, I love it when people have questions. Yeah. Uh, I love it when I have questions. I think it's one of the ways you learn to to say why, how, how does that work? In that sense, I'm all for deconstructing, taking something apart. I'm all for looking at other views. Yep. One reason I'm so thankful for my higher education degrees was because of the fact that we had to we had to study other views and to study original sources, not just secondary sources. Sure, yeah. And read them because it's quite helpful. So we're we're all for that. We're all for good questions. We're all for taking a deep dive into the robust history within biblical Christianity, seeing that there really are good answers to big and significant questions yeah. uh, from the Bible and Christians who've gone before us. So in its most positive light, we would be all for questions, questioning, uh, but that's different than questioning God as if he is the creature and you are the creator, as if you are in charge uh, and you are the center of the universe. Right. I might also add, there are certain things I was taught to be biblical only to find out later with more study and inquiry. They're not biblical. Hmm. So in that sense, I definitely have had to deconstruct, undo and dismantle certain theological views I 
held at one point in my life and was taught that they were biblical only to find out that, 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 that they actually weren't. Sure. So I'm all for that as well. But that's very different from what we're talking about when we're talking about uh, theological deconstruction. Yeah. Uh, it's not about finding out what's, more bi- what's most biblical, typically, and now we're moving into the negative. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's not usually what we're talking about. It's more critiquing. It's criticizing uh, the Bible itself, yes. uh, the, the Christian faith itself, not a particular doctrine and figuring out what's biblical and not biblical. Usually that's not what's in view. Uh, and that's where we're talking about in the worst light. And typically deconstruction is used in that sense. We're questioning the core tenets of Christianity or some of the core tenets of biblical, historic, classic Christianity in order to reject those doctrines. Yeah, so when you're talking about it just a moment ago in maybe what's good about it in its best light, uh, you're looking at things to try and see what God has to say about them and what the scriptures say about it. Uh, but in the negative side of deconstruction, what we're talking about is really kind of thinking, here's what I think about something, and I'm going to deconstruct what the Bible would say about it to fit what I think. Is that a fair way to say that? I think that's fair. I think it's fair. And I was sure to get your anger level up, your your dander level, yes. your, your ire up by sharing some of the resources that I was, I was listening to and reading. I was getting fired up last night listening to some of this uh, stuff. Sorry, not sorry, but <laughs> I wanted to stoke the flame a little bit. So uh, we, we do see that there are those who are deconstructing or who have deconstructed, this is again in, in the worst light, uh, because they want to reject Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so some who have deconstructed have once professed faith in Christ. Now they no longer profess faith in Christ. That takes us back to my off-the-cuff comment earlier about about apostasy. Right, yeah. So this is nothing new. It's been going on actually for a long time. Yep. It just hasn't been given such a hip kind of veneer yes. or packaging. There are also those who are deconstructing or who have deconstructed, and they still claim to be Christians. They still profess to be Christians. Uh, Maybe today the label that's typically used would be progressive Christianity, Hmm. uh, otherwise known in the past as liberal Christianity, theologically liberal Christianity, which reminds us of Machen. Machen. So Machen in his book Christianity and Liberalism was making the point that there aren't are not two kinds of Christianities. Uh, you have Christianity, which is tied to historic, basic biblical doctrines. Right. And then you had this other religion that wanted to change the meaning of such things. And he just said, that's liberalism. Right. So it's not a different kind of Christianity. Christianity uh, has a patent, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, the name's already been taken. So right. if you want to readjust, if you want to realign, if you want to deconstruct and reconstruct the way you want it to be, that's fine, but um, don't call it Christian. Right, yeah. So this is a problem with progressive Christianity because it's really not Christianity if it's denying basic Christian doctrines. It's really unethical. It's just borrowing the name, stealing the name, keeping the name, when in fact uh, it's a different religion if it doesn't believe in basic things, deity of Christ, humanity of Christ, bodily resurrection, the reality of God being the judge because he's the creator and he has a law and people are accountable, Uh, the depravity of human beings, they aren't inherently good. People have to have an atoning sacrifice. They have to have a savior who's been raised from the dead. There's such a thing as hell. There's such a thing as heaven. There are such things as uh, moral absolutes. There's such a thing as truth. There's such a thing as error. And so those those are basic Christian doctrines. 
And when we have progressive Christianity in the deconstruction movement, uh, it's really not very ethical, in my opinion, and certainly in Machen, the good doctor's opinion. Yeah. Ever so quickly, just to review the Machen thing, Machen, uh, sort of his arch nemesis was a man named Fosdick, and Fosdick uh, was denying basic tenets of the Christian faith, the historic, classic Christian faith. And Fosdick was cool. He was the hip guy. Uh, Machen even talked about how the, the, the young men were really drawn uh, to Fosdick because he had such cool style and things like that. And I think sometimes we have the same sort of thing happening today. Uh, it's hip. It's cool to question, to be blazing a new trail, but using all the old kind of terminology. So it's probably nothing new. Maybe if we think more in terms of more recent days and those who have been quote-unquote progressive Christians or postmodern Christians, Brian McLaren would be an example. Uh, he's written multiple books that are really anti-Christian, but he wants to keep the vernacular, keep the verbiage while denying basic classic Christian doctrines. The same thing has happened with people like Peter Enns. I listened to a podcast yesterday and they, you know, the guy said, read everything from Peter Enns. Hmm. And here's a guy who says he's a Christian who says they want to, you know, maintain the faith and we're not, we're not trying to destroy anything. Uh, but the fact of the matter is uh, he's all about destroying the basics of the Christian faith. And you see it in promoting people like Peter Enns. Hmm. And so I, I, makes me upset because it's not honest. Yeah. It's not genuine here in this age of, oh, we're authentic. authentic. Well, it's not really authentic at all to steal someone's title and label. It's called that. that that's that's dishonest. Mm -hmm. And so it's 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 infuriating in one sense. It's upsetting in another sense. And here they are telling people who are maybe in need of help. And they're telling people, oh, this is just a different kind of Christianity. It's a different version of Christianity. It's more authentic uh, because we're not like those prideful Christians who say they can, they can know things. Right, yep. And that does bring us into this whole kind of postmodern mindset, which we maybe, maybe we can talk more about that later. So, Mike, as I was listening to different podcast episodes and reading different articles by those who promote deconstructing the faith, uh, they talked about uh, – some people talked about how it's, it's more humble to take that approach. Hmm in contrast with the pride of Christians and knowing things. What was your take? What was your response? What was your reaction? You know, as I was listening to some of the podcast things and reading some articles, it's, it leaves you a little bit baffled that they can take that stance or try to take that stance, because in all honesty, it's just, it's downright arrogance, it's pride, it's, it's human man-centered approach to things. It, it was just really frustrating. You know, you kind of want to beat your head against the wall while you're listening to them talk and think, do they really think that starting with themselves and how they feel about something is really the right way to go about how you understand the faith and how you understand God, how you understand the scriptures? It's it it was maddening. Uh it I think that you know they think they're trying to be humble as we've talked in other episodes while things may seem pious and good and right and right. and they think it's going to be a humble approach because we can't know things. Right. You know so we want to take a minute and just step back and really kind of assess these things but they're assessing it from their own perspective, their own point of view and their own personal felt needs and wants and desires and they don't take into account at all that God is the God of the universe, the one who is sovereign and in control of all things, the one who has ordained all things that come to pass, the one who's the creator. I mean, it's it's crazy. They're putting themselves, like you said earlier, as a creator and making God the creature, 
And they're good with that. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Yeah. So think what a paradigm that is, if we can use it as a paradigm. So we get rid of King Jesus, the one who was here on earth and talked and acted. He defined, right. he himself defined the meaning of his actions. Uh, but it's like, no, no, he didn't. No. Uh, but I'm in charge here. I do what's right. I yeah. tell people it's right. Maybe they give a uh, an aura. I don't know if that's the right word or not, but uh, a semblance of humility in the way they talk about how we can't know things. But the reality is it's it's the epitome of pride. Yeah. Like you're saying, the creator of the universe. He sends his son here to to interpret things for us, mm-hmm. uh, to reveal things to us. But you know what? Um, what we do know for certain, if we're deconstructing, is uh, that Jesus was wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, it's, it's the height of arrogance. Yes. And so please try it. Pack them verse, pack them listeners. Please try to help maybe and not in such harsh tones as we might be sure. using, but try to help people to see what humility is and what humility isn't. Yeah. It is prideful to claim to know everything, Yeah, but it is also prideful, just as prideful if God has spoken and he has and made himself clear and he can and has to say, no, he hasn't. Mm. And to, and to say the exact opposite, yeah. it's the absolute height of arrogance. Uh, but sometimes people don't see it for what it is. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's this pursuit of autonomy. They want to be their own authority. Uh, and you see that it's pervasive in all areas of our life now and culture. And so they're obsessed with being autonomous, being their own sole authority, when in reality, as creatures created by God, we're utterly and completely dependent. We're not autonomous creatures. So it's not my truth. Right. It's, <laughs> it's, <laughs> oh, absolutely amazing. My truth. Um, but you, you can see where this is fertile soil fertile right. fertile ground for just the, the the awfulness that is this anti-christian apostatizing kind of kind of movement but it seems okay and they can still call themselves christians yeah yeah so why do you think it's growing in popularity why is it such a big deal you see on the rise why are people even hearing of deconstructionism more and more i think it's the societal pressure but also i think society in the united states of america at least in the 21st century has been grooming people for this, Mm. to use that disgusting kind of terminology. But we don't talk about knowing things near as much. We don't talk about facts. Instead, even when we're we're talking about things related to science, things related to facts, things Mm -hmm. that are objective, we say, well, how do you feel about that math problem, Johnny? Uh, It's I feel this, I feel that, when in fact, we don't even mean that. We're talking about thinking, but we've lost a category. Hmm. It just is fascinating to me because now all of a sudden, uh, if you feel a certain way, then no one can judge you. No, can, no one can evaluate you right. because, and don't get us wrong. Feelings are good, but feelings are feelings. Yep. Um, and re- reality is reality regardless how we feel about it. And so I think society has been doing that also right now we, we've moved from, you have to tolerate others. And I think that would be very virtuous mm. to tolerate others. Yep. Um, people who are absolutely intolerant of others, and I mean absolutely intolerant, uh, are the kinds of people that I don't really want to spend a lot of time around. Right. But now we've moved from 
move from tolerating, now we have to celebrate. Yes. Now we have to embrace. Mm-hmm. Because if we stop and think about it, in order to tolerate someone, you have to disagree with them. Yep. You have to, you have, to have opposite views to tolerate. So if you're a Hawkeye fan uh, and I'm a Husker fan, yeah. uh, we have to tolerate each other because I think you're wrong and I, you think I'm wrong. Yes. Because there's such a thing as right and wrong. Yes. At least from this silly perspective. <laughs> the Hawkeyes are right. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> But I feel like we're national champions. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it is really strange to watch what, have, has, what has transpired. Yes. So yeah. tolerance is not even being um, promoted anymore, even by label so much. And when it is, they, people don't really mean tolerance. They actually mean celebration, yeah. affirmation. And that's where our culture is, and we're feeling the pressure. Uh, people are feeling the pressure at work. They're feeling the pressure at school. Uh, it's you affirm me as this is what's good and right, uh, or you're hateful. Hmm. Um, and it's not just that you're intolerant. You're some kind of terrible person, and it's uh, borderline a crime to say that, that something is wrong. So, Pat, to relate that to the deconstruction we're talking about here, what we have is the culture putting all this pressure on the church, putting all this pressure on Christians uh, to now uh, be those who would accept or celebrate things that the Bible would speak against. And now it's the, the pressure is mounting to the place where people are just buckling under it. Yeah, so if we think of, in a sense, anything controversial in the Bible— uh, that is at odds with our current culture. Right. Well, we're feeling the pressure. So Christ is the one and only Savior because God sent his unique son into the world. Well, therefore, we need to make disciples of all nations. He's the one and only way to have your sins forgiven. Well, that's not very accepting. That's not very tolerant, mm-hmm. to use that word again. Right. That's not very inclusive. That's the word I was go. looking for. Yeah. And so more and more Christians feel the pressure and less and less professing Christians would affirm that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him Mm -hmm. because of the pressure, because that's not cool, that's not inclusive, uh, I'm going to be ostracized if I believe that, and down the list we can go. Sexual activity outside of heterosexual marriage is sinful, according to the Bible. Well, that's not what our culture is pressing on us, Mm -hmm. and so we either have to decide to act like Christians or deconstruct our faith and become quote unquote progressive Christians. And before you know it, we don't even believe the gospel anymore. Murdering babies is sinful according to the Bible. um, But the culture murders babies by the countless millions. And so, well, maybe we have to change our view there. And oftentimes professing Christians do, they have to deconstruct objective truth as opposed to my truth. And the list goes on and on, and it's a huge, huge problem uh, in one sense. In another sense, it's not a problem, uh, even though I think it is. Mm -hmm. But there have always been tests given to Christians. Are you going to follow Christ? Are you going to continue to affirm what he himself said was true? Or are you going to become an apostate? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there, I think there are tests for the church. Uh, the ch- is the church going to continue to preach the good news about salvation in Christ? Are the, is the church going to continue to preach God's law and God's gospel? Or are we not going to? And will we have our lampstand removed? Right. Yeah. So 
in one sense, we can say these things are good, but they're really not good other than their test to show whether or not we're going to continue to persevere. And the Bible does prophesy about these difficult times for Christians. Uh, thinking of Second Timothy 3, verses 1 through 5, it says, But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. And indeed, we are in the last days. We've been in the last days since Christ was here. And so many of those things there, we can say, oh, yeah. yes. Mm -hmm. They're not great. They're not virtuous. Some of them are, are applauded as virtuous. Right. But such interesting days that we, we, we live in. Mike, I don't know if you saw it today or not, but Kevin DeYoung had an article that came out that I, I thought was really good and yeah. pertinent to our conversation here. Uh, it's called The World is Catechizing Us, Whether We Realize It or Not. And so I think this is, again, addressing the popularity and why deconstructing one's faith is becoming more and more popular, in part because we have this conflict between what the world says is right, the unbelieving world, and what Jesus says is right and or wrong, and they're not compatible. Hmm. And we're seeing them really pressed uh, in our day, and we're seeing people uh, say, you know what, it's not worth it. I'm, I'm going to identify with with pop culture, and mm -hmm. I'm not going to identify with Christ. What he said was true. What he said was right. Jesus, who said a marriage is between a man, a biological man, and a biological woman, uh, and sex is for marriage between a biological man and a biological woman. Well, that that that's considered maybe a hate crime by some. Mm. Uh, and we're being catechized. Our kids are being catechized by pop culture yeah. to think the opposite of what's actually true and right. I want to read a section from it because I think it's really quite a good article. Yeah, yeah. It says, you couldn't watch two weeks of the Olympics or at times even two minutes without being catechized in the invaluable truths of the sexual revolution. Every day we were taught to celebrate men weightlifting as women or smile at a male diver who talked about his husband. Every commercial break was sure to feature a same-sex couple, a man putting on makeup, or a generic ode to expressive individualism. And of course, Megan Rapinoe and Sue Bird were nearly ubiquitous. If America used to be about motherhood and apple pie, it's now about birthing persons and lesbian soccer stars hawking Subway sandwiches. Hmm. And then he says he anticipates the objection. Some will object at this point that the last paragraph is filled with to a toxic mix of homophobia, heteronormativity, cisgender privilege, and a host of other terms that were virtually unknown until five minutes ago. But those labels are not arguments against biblical sexual morality so much as they represent powerful assumptions that no decent person could possibly believe that homosexuality is sinful behavior, that marriage is between a man and a woman, and that switching genders is a sign of confusion more than courage. What NBC presented as heroic and wonderful was considered wrong and troublesome by almost everyone in the Christian West for 2,000 years. Is it possible that instead of deconstructing, he's picking up on the popular verbiage, mm -hmm. is it possible that instead of deconstructing the beliefs that have marked Christianity for two millennia, we might want 
to deconstruct the academic jargon our culture has only come to affirm within my lifetime? Remember, it was only in 2008, hardly the dark days of the Middle Ages, that Barack Obama said he did not support marriage for same-sex couples. Basically, de Young's uh, thing is, and he goes on to talk about how we'd better be paying attention uh, to what our minds are being filled with and, and what our children's minds are being filled with uh, because they're being trained. Yes. They're, they're being mentored. Uh, all around them, they're being mentored. And if we're not helping them to know what the Bible actually teaches so they can think sanely about things and historically right. about things, uh, it's just a matter of time before... He doesn't say this, but I'll say it. They're, they themselves, too, are deconstructing. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're thankful for all of you who are listening to The Pactum with us today as we're talking about deconstruction. Uh, just a reminder of ways that you can be in touch with us. You can find us online at thepactum.org, and you can also find us on Twitter at The Pactum and on Instagram at The Pactum Theology. You can also be emailing us, if you'd like to, at connect at thepactum.org. We've been getting a lot of great questions lately, and we'll be doing some more Pactum Responsum episodes coming up. So, Pat, as we're getting back into our discussion on deconstruction, have you ever, because we haven't talked about food today, have you ever had deconstructed food? I, I don't know if I have. What is this? I'm just, I'm just, as we were getting ready to talk about this today, I thought, I've had deconstructed food before. Which is like what? So they take... Uh, any, uh, well, let's see, they have a few dishes that I'm thinking of, and they deconstruct them, meaning they take them apart. So I've had deconstructed cheesecake. So this isn't like my son um, having the chicken fingers, and he takes a bite of the chicken no. finger, and then he puts the little um, container of ranch up to his lips and just takes a drink of it? No. <laughs> he said, look, it's easier than dipping. <laughs> no. It's a whole thing they have. I have a stand where it's all this deconstructed food. And so you have cheesecake, and you take and you have like the cheesecake filling stuff over on one side of the plate. Then in the middle, you have the strawberries. Then on the right-hand side, you have the little wafers. It's deconstructed. It's taken apart, and then you have to eat it somehow putting it back together. So somehow it's a lazy chef (laughs) (laughs) who didn't actually make the ingredients. Deconstructed food. I don't know. It's a. I I kind of like it. It's the the Derrida cheesecake. Derrida cheesecake. I'll have to recommend that name change for them. It's good. I like the idea. Yeah. But but getting back to our discussion on deconstruction, um, you know, you talked about that these things are all around us. Uh, Culture is pressing this everywhere. Uh, No doubt our listeners are seeing these things, being uh, confronted with them in their own lives, uh, whether it's online or just with people around them. How... How do Christians respond when they are faced with deconstruction, deconstructing the faith? How do we respond? I think the first thing I want to say is let's welcome questions. Hmm. I, I love it when people have questions. Uh, there, there's no question that can be asked of me that I don't think I can offer a good, sound, biblical Christian answer to. Hmm. So things like, if God is good, why is there suffering in the world? Right. So so many Christians act as if, at least these deconstructionist kinds, no one's ever posed this question before, right. uh, as if the Bible has nothing to say about it, as if Christians haven't thought and written volumes about mm-hmm. thoughtful, robust, good, profound answers to those kinds of questions. So questions like, well, why, why believe the Bible, not the Quran? Mm. Well, that's a great question. And there are good answers, good responses to these kinds of questions. Another one would be if homosexual sex is sinful, then why do people have such desires? Mm. In other words, why did God make me this way? Right. There are really 
significant, thoughtful answers that are theologically robust, not insane. And the list could go on, but welcome questions. And if you don't know how to answer these kinds of questions, uh, make sure you're plugged into a good church where you can take classes, you can think through these issues, because not only does the Bible have answers to these questions, but Christians have been thinking about these things for a long time, Right. Uh, for a long time. I would also want to say that you need to know that when you're talking to someone who's questioning his or her faith, um, typically the objections are going to be based upon things like emotion, relationships, uh, social pressures, and they're not intellectual. Hmm. Yeah. And so it probably is helpful to just know that. I, I'm apt to answer questions that people have with good rational answers. Yeah. Rationality is good. Truth is good. But a lot of times people don't, they don't even want to hear a rational answer. Right, that's not what they're looking for. It's not what they're looking for. They have a friend who's into a particular kind of sin, or they themselves want to be or are into a particular kind of sin, and so they want out. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they want out, and so many times, that's really what's driving it. It's not about the intellect. It's not about theology. It's, I've got to get this God off of my back so right. I can live however I want to live. Right. Help me come, help me overcome this conviction. Yes. Yes. And it's at least good to know that. And I would at least point that out to the person I'm talking to. Oh, so what you're saying, this is not actually an academic argument. This is not, this actually is not about why bad things happen to good people, quote unquote, Mm -hmm. um, and questioning this God. It's actually about you wanting to do what you want to do without guilt. Right. And, and at least we can maybe help them in the long run by helping them to understand that's what this is all about. Mm. So let's keep that in mind. Uh, perhaps also we would want to say uh, when it comes to pastors and maybe Bible study leaders, but I'm going to address pastors first. Uh, remember, the Bible is about Jesus. Remember Jesus in your sermons. I say that because listening to some who promote deconstructionism, they, they laugh and talk about growing up in church where the Bible has the answer to every question you'd ever have, supposedly according to the youth pastor Mm -hmm. or the preaching pastor. And then they find out that it doesn't. Well, guess what? It actually doesn't. Uh, So it has the answers to the questions you need to know about. That's true. Uh, But so be careful about that one. Um, You could actually go back to our episode on natural law that could also be helpful. I also want to say, remember Jesus in your sermons, because Jesus, as we know, but sometimes forget, Jesus not only came here to earth as a, a historic person, mm-hmm. he not only did really significant things, Jesus, as I like to say when I'm preaching, was not the strong, silent type. Hmm. Uh, Jesus spoke. He himself interpreted the meaning of the things that he did. And so we have to pay attention. What did Jesus say? And could Jesus, the eternal son of God who became a human being, uh, communicate in a way people could understand? Mm. Obviously, the answer is yes, so much so that they crucified him, Mm -hmm. so much so that some people uh, didn't want to follow him anymore. Well, as a preacher, I want to keep that in mind because I'm reminding people of things like that regularly so that maybe I can help out in this kind of situation because so many people think as if it's just up to us. Jesus did all of these things and they are whatever you want to make of them. Mm. 
No, that's not the case. And Jesus did talk about things like marriage. Right. right. Uh, and since he was raised from the dead, uh, he and he alone is the authority in these matters. Right. And so we're going to listen to what he says uh, above everyone else. At the end of the day, if I'm a Christian, I have to believe what he said. And that's what causes me to believe in certain things being right or wrong. So that's something we can do. Uh, when it comes to this whole matter of how do we grapple with these issues, let's always go back to, to him. Let's go back to Jesus. Uh, now, we believe that the Apostle Paul was inspired because he's an apostle of Jesus. So what he says matters too. Mm-hmm. So don't get us wrong. But I have found it helpful and maybe simple to say to people I know and love and who are close to me, who are struggling with the pressures of society, to say, you know, I'm a Christian. Uh, Christ talked about marriage. At the end of the day, I have to believe what he said because he's been raised from the dead and no one else has. Right. Yep. So let's keep it simple in that sense. We can also help people uh, by recommending some good resources they can be utilizing uh, as they're interacting with these things. And uh, as as we've mentioned already in the episode, uh, thinking about Machen, uh, we would recommend Christianity and Liberalism. Uh, As we're saying, this is kind of, this is not a new thing, what's going on, um, and Machen's dealing with uh, similar issues of the day. In his day, uh, Christianity and liberalism, we talked a lot about it in our Marching with Machen series, um, but we'd encourage you to look to that resource. Yep. Also, another resource um, is Surviving Religion 101 uh, by Michael Kruger, uh, written really for college students as they're heading off to college and getting ready to be smacked in the face with a lot of crazy stuff, um, but just to think through issues of religion, what the Bible teaches and what they can hold to and know that is true. Yep, I think that's a really helpful book because so many times young people, when they've, they've never heard big objections before, right? and then they hear them for the first time and almost are apt to conclude that their pastor didn't know such things. Right. Yep. Well, I don't talk about the big objections every Sunday in my sermons because I'm typically preaching the text of scripture. Right. Yeah. But those are actually things that I had to study in detail when I was in seminary and I'm really thankful for it. Well, I like it that Kruger, who's a first rate scholar, uh, doesn't address things from the scholar scholarly perspective, but he writes the book to his daughter in effect. Yeah. Yeah. But these objections are not new from your weird teaching assistant at the university of nowheresville or wherever else you are. (laughs) Um, it's just all old stuff, rehashed, recooked, nothing un- nothing new under the sun. And again, you might not want to believe what's true because you're trying to cover up guilt, but there are good answers. Yep. There really are good yep. answers. Yep. And we'll and, link to both of those in the show notes and other resources we've mentioned throughout the episode, just so you know. Outstanding. Uh, also, maybe in terms of our response to this, my advice would be to be gracious, think long-term. I'm an optimist in the sense that I think the truth is powerful. The truth wins in the end. And so I I want people to know I'm going to be here later. And I'm going to be here later with the same Jesus who is Mm. the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the eternal one. And I'll be able to and be willing to point you to him uh, when, whenever it is you come back. Yeah. But the reality of it is uh, I'm, I'm going to think long-term. I'm going to think about being kind and gracious. At the same time, I'm standing my ground. Jude 1.3 says, we have to say Jude 1.3 because of Bible programs. <laughs> uh, but Jude, since there's only one chapter, verse 3, that the faith we're talking about is the once and for all delivered to the saints' faith. Mm. And so... 
the only kind of deconstructing I'm going to do is to take it apart to understand it better yeah, uh, yeah. and then follow the instruction manual, the designer's manual about how to put it back together the right way. Right. And so I, I just keep that in mind. Um, the truth isn't going to change. People are going to ebb and flow, but I want them to know I'm going to be there with answers when they come back around, if by God's grace, by the power of the Spirit, that they, that they do that. Mm. Yeah. Maybe just a couple of more things that might be helpful as Christians in thinking this through. Try to have better ethics than the opponents of the faith. Just listening to some of the opponents and the demeanor that they had and the attitudes and even the misrepresentations of biblical Christianity that they utilized. I, I want to have better ethics than they do. After all, I'm supposed to be representing the King of Kings mm. and Lord of Lords by yeah. the power of the Spirit, uh, representing the one who is the truth. And so I know I'm sinful, I'm less than perfect, I've shown that in this episode, but let's try to have decent ethics when we represent people. Right. Uh, also with this, uh, if we're, we're giving some pushback to postmodernism, where truth is in the eye of the beholder, the eye of the reader, hmm. uh, that we can't know anything, uh, absolutely, that would be very postmodern. But be cautious that you're just not responding with strict modernism as mm. your approach. Mm. One of the faults with modernism uh, is that it thought we could, we could know everything and we could right. know everything yeah. perfectly and exhaustively, yeah. which is not helpful. So Christians can know the truth. We can know the truth truthfully, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean we know it exhaustively. It doesn't mean we know it perfectly. Right. And Christians throughout church history, thoughtful, mature, theologically well-informed Christians have always had a good category for mystery. Yeah. So it's not either or. Postmodernism gets it wrong, and modernism, modernism hard to say, gets it wrong. Um, authentic biblical Christianity, we can know things, we can know the truth, we can know the truth truly, not exhaustively, to repeat myself, but we also say at times, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know exactly how that works. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a category for mystery, and, and we need to remember that. Yeah. And then finally, I'll recommend that we just need to remember we're not the Holy Spirit. Mm. Uh, it kind of goes back to me thinking, okay, I'm, I, I, I believe in truth. I believe in the power of God for salvation. I believe in the power of the truth. I'm going to think long-term. I'll be here when it's time to come back to get the right answer to this whole thing. Yeah. Well, Pat, as we're wrapping up the episode, maybe finally we just take a minute and say, what is it that we should learn from Jesus about popularity? This is a really, really good one to end on because so much of what we're seeing when it comes to people wanting to question to the point of deconstructing is they're feeling the pressure to they're, they're feeling the pressure to fit in. Yes, uh, they yeah. they want to be accepted. They want to be included. It's about popularity. Yep. And so Jesus taught the truth, uh, and he taught the truth truthfully, clearly, so clearly that it did lead to people leaving. Mm. Uh, so he wasn't trying to keep people at all costs. Sometimes the truth is offensive, and it meant some people left, but others stayed, and they stayed because they believed he was the one and only way they could have eternal life. So John six is helpful. Uh, I always like to say that it's easy to remember because if you just think of John six, 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 you'll be able to find it. And certainly that what happens in John six, six, six is not good, <laughs> but I'm going to pick it up in verse 60. So John six, 60, uh, when many of his disciples heard it, He's talking about the truth about himself, eternal life found only in him. When many of the disciples heard it, they said, this is a hard saying. 
who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you, get this, there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And I suppose we could keep reading, but we could just keep reading the whole thing because it's all good. Sure, yeah. But Jesus said things that were not popular and it led to some leaving and some staying. Yeah. And that is how it's going to be. Right. And so other hard sayings from Jesus are also helpful when it comes to this. Uh, the world is not going to love us because of the Christian message, but some will respond positively. Mm -hmm. We need to keep this in mind and we need to teach it. We need our young people growing up in the life of the church to understand these things. So many times it's, if you're a Christian, everybody will like you. Well, maybe in youth group, <laughs> um, but if you're a Christian, that's, that's foreign to the New Testament. Right. If you're a Christian, everyone will like you. And maybe we need to do, to do a better job when we're selling people on the gospel, wink, wink, yeah. uh, to not sell them and to maybe warn them, well, you need to know this is what you're getting into. Right, sure. So that you're well aware of what it means to attach yourself to Christ as Savior because it's not going to make everybody happy. Yeah. Mike, as we round things out and bring things to a close, I think it's important that we remember that if we don't have categories for what is sinful and what is not sinful, uh, we won't actually have a category for the gospel or yeah. we won't need the gospel anymore. Mm -hmm. So uh, please be encouraged, dear listener, and let's be encouraged by the power of the spirit. May God help us to stand for the faith yeah. so that there can be a faith. Yes, uh, yeah. because if we don't call sin, sin, then we don't need a savior. We don't need a gospel. We don't need a resurrection. We don't need any of it. So we have good news. And as we heard on our last episode, we should smile about what is good and yeah. good news when we're telling people the good news. But we also want to stand firm because apart from standing firm, we're not honoring God and we're really doing nothing good for the world around us because the world around us desperately needs the Lord Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on The Pactum.